Um, okay, so we're, uh, we've been in, a, for the last few weeks, a series on walking in newness of life. Walking in newness of life. And I really wanted to take a week or two and talk about the renewing of the mind. And that's where we're going to go today. And I really wanted to start in Romans chapter 12 too, which is a very common scripture on the renewing of the mind. But really by Thursday, I felt like the Lord had shifted me and asked, uh, asked me that he wanted us to go to Ephesians chapter 4. And there's, uh, the main text is a little bit lengthy. We're going to look at verses 16 through verses 32. So that's 17 verses. But I want to just kind of teach through this passage. I want to look at a few things. So, so in the center of this, we're going to get to something called being renewed in the spirit of your mind, as opposed to just the renewing of your mind, where he tells the, uh, the Ephesians to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, that is contrasted with the beginning of the text that talks about those who are not saved that walk in the futility of their mind. Now, futility just means to be devoid of truth, to have zero truth. So we're going to look at the, the, really the, the, what it means to, to walk uh, as a natural person or under the influence of the old man or, or those uh, things that he's left deposited in you, and then also to be renewed in the spirit of the mind and then to put on the new man. So really, this will, uh, I think, go along with what we've been talking about the last few weeks. And remember, I told you a couple weeks ago, this, is, this series is geared to believers. If you don't know Jesus, we're glad you're here. This series is to help mature the body. We're looking to, to grow in our walk with the Lord. We've had a lot of new converts lately. And I just want to bring some teachings that, that will help you uh, walk in the Lord. Two weeks ago, we, we looked at walking in the Spirit and what that meant. And how that when you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So today is going to be... what. What, not so much what it means to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, but uh, we're going to get to the very end, and I'm going to give you five practical things. I, I kind of felt like I liked what it, we did a couple weeks ago with the uh, seven practical things of walking in the spirit. Just five practical things from this text that will be evidence that you've put on the new man or that you're putting on the new man. So if you have your Bibles or your phones or whatever, if not, it's behind you. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. Now the first slide. When you read this slide, don't say, is he talking to me? All right, just keep this to yourself. But have you ever talked to somebody about the life or lifestyle that they were living that maybe you didn't agree with, and they answered you, hey, my life, my choices only affect me. My lifestyle choices only affect me. Maybe you've asked somebody that. Maybe they've answered you that. Maybe you've answered somebody else that same statement. I want to tell you that your lifestyle choices do affect other people. They don't just affect you. They're your choice. It's your life. It's your lifestyle. But here's, here's the reality of this, is we as believers are not just on the same team. We are. But we're not, and we're not just on, in the same family. We are. We are part of the same body. And just because we're on the same team, in the same family, the fact that we're in the same body, when you do something, it affects me. And when I do something, it affects you. 
And so the reason I want to really want to back up one verse, this text really starts in verse 17. It starts with the word therefore. I want to look at verse 16 because Paul's going to tie in why the way that you walk, the lifestyle that you live, actually has an impact on the rest of the body. So let's, uh, let's start with verse 16, and we're going to read through this. Make a few points. It says, From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Say this, every joint. According to the effective working by which every part does its share. Say every part. Look at your neighbor say, I'm a joint. Look at the other one and say, I'm a part. Now say, what part are you? No, don't say that. I'm part of the... So here's the thing. The body works together when every part is working in conjunction with the other parts. The body has a need that only you can supply. See, God designed you unique. He didn't make us, if you look in 1 Corinthians 12, he didn't make us all noses. He didn't make us all ears. He made you unique. And the day that you begin to discover what God has created you to do, you'll quit wanting to be somebody else. You're going to start to realize that God has created me for a purpose to function in the body to, to a degree that nobody else can. That I have something that God has uniquely created me to do that nobody else can do. And that what I do and what I don't do has an impact on the rest. He says, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Now, Jews and Gentiles, we know that a Gentile is anybody that's not a Jew. But spiritually, Gentiles represented those who were unsaved. So he's saying to this group of Gentile believers in Ephesus, he says, look, you were unsaved Gentiles at one point. Now you're saved Gentiles. The lifestyle you live as a saved Gentile impacts the rest of the body. And I don't want you walking, and this is the word we've been looking at for a few weeks, this word walk, this Greek word peripateo means the entirety of your life. It means your lifestyle, everything that goes into the daily, day-to-day -day routine of your life, the way you think, the way you act, the way you feel, the way you decide, where you go, what you do, your habits, all that. That's your lifestyle. And he says, I no longer, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. How do they walk? In the futility. I told you that word means devoid of what? Oh, my goodness. Ha ha. Who said that? Who said truth? Oh, somebody was listening. All right. Futility. Devoid of truth. So let's go to the next slide. I'll give you a few other translations just to give you a little maybe better thought of what that means. The New Living says they are hopelessly confused. Do you know anybody that's confused? Who walk in their empty delusions. They base their lives on pointless thinking. Their minds are devoted to worthless pursuits. Don't want you to keep walking the way unsaved people walk in their empty delusions, you know, thinking something's right when it's really not, that you're walking in deception. You're walking in, in, in with a mindset that has no truth. It's literally devoid of truth. You have no truth in it. All right, next slide. So now he kind of describes what this looks like. 
So the futility of their mind, it says, having their understanding darkened. That literally means that you have difficulty comprehending things. Now, I know some of you had difficulty anyway, right? <laughs> Anybody have difficulty with comprehension? Reading comprehension was not one of my strong suits. So I don't need to exacerbate the problem. I've already got difficulty. But he says, when you walk in the futility of your mind, your understanding, your comprehension is limited. It's darkened. He says, being alienated, that means to be cut off or separated from the life of God. Your very life source is cut off because, now he's going to tell you why, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Saying people that walk in the futility of their mind, devoid of truth, at the end of the day, it's because of the blindness. That word also means hardness of heart. It literally means to be calloused. Anybody ever had a callous? Who's had a callous? I knew who all the hard workers are right there. Who has dishpan hands? Paul Mollove. There we go. A couple, couple honest people. How do you get a callous? You get a callous from doing an action or an activity repeatedly, right? So if you split wood, if you lift weights, if you, uh, you pick it. Over time, you will develop a callus on your hands. And, and a callus, initially, when you're doing that activity, there's some pain. There's some sensitivity. Before you get a callus, what do you get? Usually a blister, right? Maybe on your feet. Maybe you walk a lot. So you'll get a blister. There's sensitivity to pain, but eventually you develop a callus over that area of repeated activity and this callus forms, and it's a hardening, and it goes on to say, who being past feeling. That means they, that the callus eventually works to decrease your sensitivity. You get to a point where you're no longer sensitive. You get to a point where you could, if you're splitting wood and you have calluses. When I was a kid, I was telling uh, my wife's, by, by the way, my, my wife's, not only her parents are here, they were here last week, but her aunt and uncle are here visiting from Georgia. Let's give them a hand, a little wave, right? And here's the fun fact. This gentleman here married us. He is, a, uh, is an ordained pastor, and he married us uh, a couple years ago, <laughs> 27. So I was telling last night that as a kid, my dad would buy... Every year, we'd get 20 truckloads of wood, two pulp wood truckloads, and, and my job every winter was to, or fall was to split the wood. So, you know, at the beginning of the, of the fall season, I'd get the, the I had, we had a sledgehammer and, and, and a wedge, two wedges, and to split wood with, but, you know, I'd get blisters, and it would hurt. But eventually, as those blisters broke and calluses formed, I no longer felt, I no longer felt any pain from it. And spiritually, here's what happens to your heart. As you keep rejecting the voice of the Lord, as you keep rejecting the word of God, as you keep telling the Holy Spirit no, you develop this callous on your heart. Your heart becomes hardened. You actually get to a point where you're no longer sensitive to the voice of the Lord. And he's saying, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be doing this. Remember, we don't live under a set of laws. We live under the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit under the new covenant is, what, is who directs us. 
So, so here we are. As we keep rejecting him, we develop this callous on our heart. And he says, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness. The, the King James would be the word lasciviousness. It literally means to, to have, let me say this, no shame in my Oh, you guys know it, right? So you get to the point in your life where, hey, ain't no shame in my game. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I don't care who sees. I don't care who knows. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I don't care. It's my life. And you get to a point where you used to be sorry for what you did. You used to be ashamed of what you did, but now you're just open with it, and you don't care. Because the callus has gotten so thick, you have no feeling anymore. And he says, I don't want you to live like that. That's how unsaved people live. With no concern. Really, it's selfishness. At the end of the day, it's selfishness when you think that what you do only affects you. He says, given themselves. This thing didn't, just doesn't happen. It says, they gave themselves to lewdness or lasciviousness to work all types of uncleanness with greediness. I want more. I want more. I want more. I can't satisfy that desire. Here's what he says. Next slide. Well, not, I want to just pause here for a minute. Your mind will only be renewed to the degree that you're willing to surrender your heart. So you can accumulate lots of facts, you can memorize a lot of scripture, you can have a bunch of head knowledge, but your mind never be renewed. See, at the end of the day, it's because of the hardness of their heart. And your mind will only be renewed to the level or degree that you're willing to surrender your heart. Say, Lord, whatever your word says, Holy Spirit, whatever you say. And as you begin to listen to him and begin to move in the direction that he's leading you and those activities stop, guess what happens when the activities stop? The calluses disappear. The heart becomes sensitive again. And you can start discerning the voice of the Lord. All right, he goes on to say, you didn't learn this from Jesus. Next slide. He said, verse 20, he said, but you have not so learned Christ if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the what? What is futility? Devoid of truth. The renewed mind then would be full of what? Truth. He said, hey, you guys didn't learn this from Jesus. You're out shacking up with this woman, shooting this drug up, doing this. You didn't get that from Jesus. He didn't teach you that. He didn't tell you that. He said, hey, if you actually heard what he said, and if you actually listen to his word, you didn't get that from him. See, it says, because the truth is in Jesus. See, I've told you this before, but some people will say, well, I know what God's word says, but the Holy Spirit told me something else. That spirit needs cast out. <laughs> that is not the Holy Spirit. See, God's word is truth. Jesus is truth. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. There's a math, prop, math uh, property called the transitive property of equality. 
which means that if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C, which means if God or God's word is truth and the Holy Spirit is truth, then God's word and the Holy Spirit will always agree because they're both true. So the Holy Spirit will never lead you incongruent with God's word. It'll always be the same. So don't ever say, well, the Holy Spirit told me to live with her first and try it out. You got to test drive the car before you buy it. I get it, but that's not what he says. The test drive is not in the Bible. That was made up by those terrible car dealers. That's a car dealer thing. See, that's when we know we got you. We get you in the car. So you get you smelling the leather. Ah, you're feeling the road. It's called getting somebody to make the, of all things, mental purchase. If I can get you to make the mental purchase, I can get you to sign the paper. The devil does the same thing. I'm not equating car dealers to the devil, though. <laughs> Let's just, just clear that up. Okay, next slide. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows a corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which is created according to God after true righteousness and holiness. That's a mouthful. Let's break that down. It says that you put off. He's not talking about putting off the old man. The old man died the day that you got saved. The old man, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, that, that I was crucified with Christ. And that when Christ died once, he now lives forevermore. He says in verse chapter 6, verse 11, he says, Likewise, reckon yourself dead to sin. So think of it like this. How many people believe that Jesus died? On a scale of 1 to 10. Ten. Oh, I got it. One ten. All right, that's good. Kristen's a ten. Everybody a ten. How many people believe that Jesus rose again and he is alive today? Scale one to ten. Ten. How many people believe that your old man is dead when you accept Jesus? That should be a ten because Paul says, likewise, reckon, consider yourself dead to sin. The now, not sinning. You're still going to, you can sin but you're dead to the nature of sin. It's dead. And we went through that before, and the old man died the day that you got saved. However, just like when you have a crappy old husband that beats on you and speaks bad things in you, when he dies, some of what he left you stays with you. And you get married to a new man. And you don't know how to respond to the new man because the old man trained your behavior. And see, that's what we're dealing with today. He says, I don't, he wants you to put off, and, and he even spells it out here. He doesn't say put off the old man. He says, put off concerning what? The former conduct, right? So that the old man left some bad conduct in you, some bad behavior. And he says, I want you to put that off. It's the idea of taking off the outward shell, taking off this clothing. 
So they want you to take it off. And then the flip side of that, we'll come back to the being renewed in the spirit of your mind. He says, he says, I want you to put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. And then we're going to skip that and put on what? What are we putting on? Putting on the new man. We're not recreating the new man. He's not telling you to, to come up with a new man. That the, the day you got saved, Jesus put a new man on the inside of you. We know that 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new what? He is a new creation, a new creature, one that never existed before. That in your born-again spirit, you're just like Jesus. And that's what it says here. It says that you put on the new man that is created according to who? What's it say? Read it. Put on the new man created according to the likeness of God. So that when you say, well, how can you say my new man's just like God? Because God said that. God said that the new man, the new created person, your spirit, your born-again spirit, is just like me. That I put a new you in you, and it's created in proportion to, according to, in the likeness of, just like God, in true what? Righteousness and holiness. So here's what he says. He says, the, the old you left some bad behavior. Anybody got a little bad behavior? See, the problem is our former conduct still our present conduct. And it shouldn't be. He said he left some, some former conduct still in you. I want you to take that off. And he says, I want you to take the conduct of the new man, the new man that's just like God, that's righteous and holy, that's in you, and I want what's in you to be evident on the outside of you. See, I could go, I could, I could come in here and say, hey, I got a brand new sport coat. And I did, by the way. My dad got me this for my birthday. Good dad. I could say, hey, I got a new sport coat. And I leave it in my closet. A year later, hey, did I tell you about the new sport coat my dad got me? Yeah, you told me. Two years later, did I tell you I got a new sport coat? Yeah, two years ago. Five years go by, and you're still talking about the new sport coat you got five years ago, but no one's ever seen it. See, God just doesn't want to put a new you in you. He wants the new, new you on the outside of you. And he says, I want you to take the new man, and that word put on means to be clothed with. It's in duo. It's actually the same word when Jesus said to the disciples at the end of Luke, he said, tarry in the city of Jerusalem and you will be endued with, clothed with power from on high. It's the same word. It means to be clothed with. He says, I want you to be clothed with the new man. See, nobody can see your salvation. They can only see the evidence of it. And that's why he says, I want you to lay off, take off, the former conduct, and I want you to put on the new. Now, in between the put off and the put on, you can leave church today and say, the pastor told me to put off somebody. Putting you off. In between the put off and the put on, what do we got to do to make that happen? It's in yellow. Be renewed in the spirit of of your mind. Be, say this, be renewed in the spirit 
of my mind. So that word spirit, some translations are, go back and forth on this. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't even mean your born again spirit. So the word spirit in the Greek pneuma also can be translated to mean mental disposition. It literally means attitude. That you need to be renewed in the attitude of your mind. I'm going to get the tude renewed. You got that, Autumn? <laughs> Why did I say Autumn when I said, let's get the tude renewed? Lesson. Le lesson. Let's go to the next slide. So here's, here's two different versions to give you a, a feel for the, the, the attitude. It says, be made nude. This is nude. <laughs> it's terrible. It says, be renewed, be made new in the attitude of your minds. New Living, new, uh, international version. And the Amplified says, be continually. See, this isn't a one-time thing. This is like, well, I got, I got my mind renewed last year. Well, where's it at today? Because the tendency... See, there's an old saying that says you can't drift uphill. So if I'm drifting uphill, eventually what's going to happen? You can't, you can't put your mind in neutral. It says be continually renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh, untarnished mental and spiritual attitude. Next slide. Let's just take a couple words. What, what we, get. we got outlook, opinion, viewpoint, mindset, feeling, sentiment, and disposition. See, a lot of people think about when, I'm, in, when I talk, we talk about renewing of the mind, they think, well, just think happy thoughts. If you just think happy thoughts, everything will be okay. Well, I like happy thoughts. I like Winnie the Pooh and all those type of things, you know. I'm probably more like, well, I guess Pastor Jay's more like Igor. <laughs> I don't know. You're the cat. Who's the cat? Mouse. Now, see, renewing your mind's not just about having happy thoughts. It's not just about having po positive thoughts, even. Positive thoughts are good. I mean, positive thoughts, there's nothing wrong with positive thoughts. It's not even about the accumulation of, of more knowledge. So people think, well, if I'm, I'm just going to get more knowledge. See, here's, here's, here's a fact. When you mistake the renewing of the mind for just thinking positive thoughts or just the accumulation of more knowledge, if it doesn't change you, it turns into arrogance. If it doesn't change you, it just makes you prideful. See, the purpose of renewing your mind is not so you can win an argument over Scripture. But I know a lot of people like want to learn scripture so they can win an argument. The renewing of your mind is not so you can be all high and mighty with a bunch of, go to the next slide, with a bunch of accumulation of facts. Don't mistake renewing the mind for thinking positive thoughts or increasing in knowledge. These truths must change our attitude and our perspective. See, if God's word doesn't change you, and it will, but if you're just accumulating things so you can know more and it doesn't impact the way that you think, not just what you think, but the way that you think, it just puffs you up. 
Paul says in talking in, in to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 1, and talking about food given to idols, he says, we all have knowledge, but knowledge puffs up, love builds up. See, we can get all full of stuff and just go, well, look what I know. Well, you can take what you know and head on down the street. I want you to see you to have a change of mindset. I want you to change the way you think. Because when you start seeing things from God's perspective, and I think that's where we're going to go next week, is thinking from God's perspective. It'll change the way that you make decisions in life. All right, let's finish up. Next slide. Next slide. All right, we're going to finish this, uh, this chapter out. Here's five things. So how do I know? Now, what's it mean to put on? It means to be clothed, right? All right, so if I'm clothed with the new man, we're going to say, what's that wardrobe look like? All right, so we're going to look at five things real quick of what this wardrobe looks like when we put on the new man. So we're going to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. First it says, and I put a couple different translations up here, but we'll follow through the rest of the chapter. Stop telling lies. <clears throat> oh, so the first one is truthful. Truthful. Stop telling lies. Now, you won't find this in the Bible, all right, but this was some great advice my dad gave me. Matter of fact, I think it was in 2 Fred 3, 7. He said, son, when you get married, this is for all you, you husbands and husbands-to-be. He said, when you get married, there are two times that it's okay to lie to your wife. I said, what? I thought you were never supposed to lie. He said, look, trust me. Two times. When she says, do you like my new haircut? You always say yes. Doesn't matter if you like it or not. And the other one is, does this dress make me look heavy? And you always say no. If you get those two things right, he said, it, it, just go repent later. It'll be okay. He said, but just, just lie. It'll save you so much trouble. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not advocating lying. But it worked. No, I'm just kidding. You guys got those two questions? No? Yes. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we all are all parts of what? The same body. How many people lie to yourself? No. Everybody says, be, oh, you have one. Be truthful to yourself. Hey, don't lie to yourself. If you wouldn't lie to yourself, don't lie to your neighbor, because we're the same body. See, the problem is too many people can't speak the truth because you're living a lie. You can't speak the truth because yourself you're living a lie. See, you don't have the authority to speak from a platform of truth because the life that you're living is incongruent with the Word of God. And so a lot of times we want to be quick to point out something in somebody else's life but I myself am living a completely different lifestyle. You got to live a life of truth to have that platform to speak truth. Your lifestyle matters. The second thing, relentless. What was the first one? You guys got the two lies, right? Okay. 
Okay, let me preface this by saying I realize this verse is used a lot in marriages. Has anybody heard, hey, don't go to bed mad with your spouse? All right, it comes from this verse. I don't really think that's what this verse is talking about. It says, be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. All one sentence. Be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. So let's think through this. It's telling me to be angry. If I'm going to be angry, and it's the new man being angry, I'm going to be angry the same way God would be angry, right? i got to get mad at the same things God gets mad at. God is not angry at people. God's not angry at people. It's not telling you, hey, have it out with your spouse, say what you got to say, get down, get the frying pan out if you got to, but when you go to bed, take the gloves off and kiss. Good principle, but that's not what this is saying. He said, I want you to be mad at what makes God, what makes, God's mad at the effect that sin has on people's lives. He hated it so much, he sent Jesus to die for it. Jesus was manifest, it tells us in 1 John 3, 8, it said that Jesus was manifest to destroy what? The works of the devil. I think what he's telling us, he said, I want you to be mad at the enemy. I want you to, to be relentless. Don't let the sun go down. Don't let the sun set on your anger at the right things. Don't ever get to a time where you become passive. Oh, he's always been that way. Might as well just accept it. I've always had this sickness. I might as well just accept it. We've always had a tough marriage. I might as well just accept it. Don't be passive. He says, I want you to be angry and don't sin. And don't let the sun, don't let the sun set on that anger and don't give place to the devil. See, when we become passive, we give the devil an opportunity. When I start to say, well, I guess I was meant to be this way, or I guess my, my, my kid's always going to be what they're going to be, stay in prayer. Resist the devil. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he'll do what? Flee. Don't get to a point in your life where you just say, throw your hands up. Well, no, be relentless. See, when Jesus went into the temple and cast out the money changers, he said you, my, that my house should be a house of prayer, and you've made it what? A den of thieves. Who is the temple today? We are. So think about this. He's not talking about going in and throwing people out of the temple. Like he's not saying, hey, Kara's a thief. Let's throw her out of here. Who is the thief? The enemy. He steals, kills, and destroys. And see, when he brings thoughts into your mind and you come into agreement with those things, you give him the opportunity to steal. See, Jesus is saying, you are the temple. There are people, there are thoughts. The devil's putting thoughts in your mind. He's running things in your mind. And you need to cast those things out. Don't come into agreement with it. Be vigilant. Even when Jesus went to the wilderness and, and, and over to, overcame the devil with the temptation, it says at the end of Luke 4, it says that the devil left, but he would come back in an opportune time. See, he, the devil's relentless. you got to be relentless. you got to say, I'm not going to just take it. I'm just not going to accept this situation. I'm going to find out what God's word says, and I'm going to pursue that. 
Number two, three. The wardrobe of the new man. You're truthful. You're relentless. You're a giving person. See, a lot of people grow up being takers. Especially when you grow up and you're, you're doing a side hustle for this and, and you're, you're selling pills for this and you're cutting this. And, you know, we learn how to be takers. God says, hey, if you stole, quit stealing. But don't just quit stealing. Go get a job. And don't just get a job to support yourself. You get a job to do what? So that you're going to have something to be able to give to somebody when they have a need. Quit thinking about yourself. See, when you put on the new man, you become a giver because God is a giver. See, it says God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. God's a giver. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from our Father above and who there is no shadow of turning. God is always a giving God. And when you put on the new man, you all of a sudden, you're going to say, God, show me somebody that I can help today. Give me a job, just not so I can put something on the table for my family, but so I can help somebody. I want to be used. But too often, we're just looking out for number one. And then you end up stepping in number two. I just say if you're awake. <laughs> Next. Edifying. Words matter. You know, when you're growing up, everybody hears that thing, sticks and stones will break my bones, but what? That's a lie. Words hurt. Words will stick with you. Life and death is in the power of what? You can cut somebody down or you can build them up. It says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who are here. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. There's a lot in there we're not going to go into. But do you, get, do you speak words of grace? Think about that. What's grace? Undeserved, unmerited favor. Do you bless people when you speak to them? Well, they don't deserve to hear anything good. I don't care. God's word says, speak words of grace. Words that build people up. Not words that tear them down. See, even Jesus, when he was young, it says, they were all amazed at the gracious words that come out of his mouth and said, isn't this Joseph's son? Jesus spoke words of grace. Words that maybe that person doesn't deserve to hear. Maybe they've hurt you. Maybe they've wronged you. Maybe they've done you, done you bad for years. God says, build them up. Build them up. Edify them. That's what edify means, to build up. Speak words that are going to build people up. That's what the new man does. All right, the last one. We'll close. Anybody else hot? It's hot in here. Whew. Forgiving. Forgiving. The new man is evidence that you forgive people. I think it was Joyce Myers said it. She may have quoted it from somebody else, but she, she, I've heard her say it. It says, when you hold unforgiveness, it's like drinking poison and think the other person's going to die. But a lot of us hold on to hurt. 
A lot of us hold on to bitterness. Maybe it was a spouse, maybe it was a kid, maybe it was a former relationship, maybe it was your employer, maybe it was a church. You know, church hurts bad. I will do my best to make sure you're never hurt here. And if you get offended, you come see me. We're going to make it right. I've been known to offend a few people, but not intentionally. He says, hey, he says, stop being bitter, angry, and mad. So here's where, you know, a couple verses earlier, he says, be, be angry and sin not. Now he says, don't be angry. Anger is never toward people. Remember, the enemy is not the person. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers. It's a spiritual battle. It says, put away bitter anger and stop being mad at others. Don't yell at one another or curse each other or even be rude. Instead, be kind, merciful, and forgive others just as God forgave you or God uh, forgave you because of Jesus. There's the standard. It's not seven times 70, like Jesus told Peter. That's a good standard, but that's not the standard. The standard is Jesus, that God forgave you because of Jesus. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've, where you've been. God paid for that sin. God's already forgiven you of it. If you've not received him, you just need to receive him. See, God's not mad at you. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, he said that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their sins unto them. He took all your sin, instead of putting it on you, he put it on Jesus. And he forgave you, but you got to receive it. And that's the standard that we're, we're told to, to forgive others. That same standard. I didn't deserve to be forgiven. I didn't even do anything to be forgiven because Jesus forgave me 2,000 years ago when he died. He knew Fred Timbrook was going to be born in 1970. He knew that he would live a life that wasn't that great for a bunch of years. And he said, I don't care about all that. I love that guy, and I'm going to die for that guy, and I'm going to pay for his sin. And that's what he, that's what he thought about each and every one of you. He says, that's the standard of forgiveness that I want you to extend to other people. Let's stand. Go pray. I doubt anybody here's got that new coat, that new wardrobe in every single area. See, Paul earlier in the chapter of Ephesians 4 talks about us uh, getting to the standard, or the measure of the stature of Jesus. That's, Jesus is our standard. We're increasingly getting there. So if you failed, it's okay. If you're living a certain way and you shouldn't be, it's okay. Let's get it right. We're here to you. We're here together. We're here together. Dude, I, even, I mentioned earlier about Moses with Aaron and her. 
You know, he's raising the rod of God, represents authority. But sometimes you need a couple people to come around you where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am in their midst. And hold that authority up together and stand together. Defeat that enemy. So today's message mainly for believers, but I just want to ask, I always want to ask, is there anybody here that doesn't know Jesus? Because today's the day that you could make him the Lord of your life. You could walk out of here in complete peace, understanding that your sins are forgiven. Have a confidence that, that you have a relationship with Jesus. Anybody doesn't know the Lord, maybe just give me a little wave, doesn't know God, would like to know God. I see a hand in the back. Would you come on up here? Would you feel comfortable coming up here? Make today your day. loves you, Michael. God's Jesus died for you. Anything that happened in your past, he already knew about it. And Jesus hung on that cross, was thinking about Michael today. And we know in scripture, all, it's very simple. We don't have to like keep a bunch of rules. You don't have to go to church. You just have to put your faith in Jesus. And we have a confidence that says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. And when you do that, you become a new creation. Is that something you want to do today? All right, let's pray. Just repeat after me. Father, I acknowledge my sin that I'm a sinner. Yeah, stretch your hands out to Michael right now. I was speaking to the crowd. I know that Jesus died for me and paid for all my sin. Rose again the third day. And I put my faith and trust in him and receive him as my Lord and Savior. child of God. Old things are gone. Everything's become new. Amen. Let's give God a hand. Stay, stay right here. All right. That's what it's all about. This is step one. So I always tell people, if, I, if we're doing sales training at work, the most important step is not step one. The most important step is the step you're on. Whatever step that is, that's the most important step, wherever you're at right now. So wherever you're at in your walk with the Lord, there's no more important step than where you're at right now. Let's just do this. Let's just... Uh, let's just Hold our hands out just as a way of receiving from the Lord. Let's just pray this, and we'll close with this today. Father, 
just acknowledge that we need your help. We need the Holy Spirit. And Father, we surrender our hearts so that your Spirit can transform our minds. I want everything that you have for me. Make me more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless.